speaking to a friend yesterday, and he said to me, what are you going to talk about in church tomorrow morning? So I told him, and he said, oh, he said, do your people bring sandwiches? So I hope you've got your packed lunches. Let's start with a scripture reading, and the scripture reading I'm going to read to you is from Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm going to start with verse 13, and then I'm going to jump to 19, verse 19. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now down to verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. I was really moved by the testimony we've heard this morning. I was really blessed because that's what Christianity is all about. And a wise man once said, the church has only three tasks. Number one, to worship God. Number two, to share the gospel. And number three, to serve the poor and the brokenhearted. And I think that's exactly what June was talking about this morning. Serving the poor and the brokenhearted. We're not a club here in church to bless ourselves we're the only organisation in the world that is there to bless others. And the title of my message this morning is The Prototype for Normal Christianity. It sounds a rather peculiar title. In fact, when Rob gave it to me, I thought, what's he on about, the prototype? You see, my knowledge of the English language isn't that wonderful. And I thought, what's a prototype? Isn't a prototype something a car manufacturer does to see if his product works? I thought, well, God doesn't have to make products to see if it works. He knows it's going to work. And then I looked it up in a dictionary and I found that prototype can also mean this. A prototype is someone or something that serves as a model or inspiration for those that come later. So that's what I'd like to do this morning. I'd like to do two things. One... I read a scripture which told you about the the church. We are the church, but the church is made up of individuals. We come together as individuals to form the body of Christ. And God has given us, throughout scripture, people who are prototypes, people who are an inspiration to us that we can look at and learn from. And we can learn from them what a normal Christian is. So what is the prototype for normal Christianity? Well, first of all, I'm just going to go through a few things which which should be the marks of every normal Christian. And then I'm going to come to what I feel is the important part, the part that's on my heart. I want to share with you what it is 
that will enable us as a church and as individuals to do the kind of work that June's been talking about, to become the gospel people that Jesus wants us to become. So first of all, let's look at the, the, what makes the normal Christian. Well, if you to take a look at Hebrews 11, just for starters, it's not for nothing that Hebrews chapter 11 is called the faith chapter because it's a book which lists the acts of faith of some of the greatest biblical heroes of all time. It talks about Abraham. It talks about Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and my own favourite, Moses. I love Moses. Do you remember when Rob was preaching on Moses a couple of weeks back? He said, you know, God came to Moses in the burning bush and he says to Moses, go and bring my people out of captivity in Egypt. And what does Moses say? Yes, God, let's go for it. No, he says, God, can you send somebody else, please? I love him. Is human. That's what I see in, in Scripture all the way through. Scripture is the only book that tells us about man's failures as well as his successes. But if you look at all those men mentioned in the book of Hebrews, they have two little words before their names. And the two little words are, by faith. And that's the first mark of a normal Christian. A normal Christian lives by faith. What is faith? And I find it today so often it's misunderstood. If I believe some of the stuff I see on Christian television, faith is a weapon you use against God to get what you want out of him. You know, if you can, um, if you just obey this rule, just exercise faith, you can have riches, you can have health, you can have the job you want, all by faith. But I don't think that's what faith means at all. Faith is a lovely word, it just simply means trust. And we are to trust God. And if you look at all those people in mentioned in Hebrews, they were people who trusted God. Abraham, who left the Earl of the Chaldees to go off to find a new land. He didn't know where he was going. He didn't have a clue. Yet he trusted God, that God would take him and lead him. And he did. You see, faith isn't trusting God when the going is good. It's trusting God when it gets hard. It's trusting God when the lights go out. It's trusting God when it's difficult and you cannot see the end from the beginning. That's faith. But the question is, how do we hold on to faith when we're in the pit? When we feel God has stopped talking to us? And when we're finding everything has gone wrong? Do you know, that's when we have to exercise faith. When we can't see what the answer is. When we don't know what's going to happen next. I know Cynthia and I learned this lesson years ago when we would often run out of money before we'd run out of bills and we didn't know how we were going to feed our children. But God always provided and he taught us, no matter what you see with your eyes, trust God, he will deliver. Faith is not passive, 
It's not something that you get as a gift in some senses. It's something you choose to do. You choose to trust God. Now don't get me wrong, in many ways faith is a gift. But in the sense in which I'm talking about it this morning, we have to exercise it. We have to choose to have faith in God, even in the darkest of times. I mean, I've heard a lot of Christians today are quite fearful if they hear about this new virus coming in from China. Oh Lord, deliver us from us. And yet, one of the things that struck me, is it right for us to ask the Lord to deliver us from it? Well, perhaps, yes it is. But do you know some of the greatest things in history? If you look back to the great plague when it hit this country, it was the Christians who stayed behind and nursed the sick. Have you heard of the Church of Eam? It was a wonderful church. It was hit by the plague one year and rather than spread the plague, that church shut itself off, its whole community, for a year so they wouldn't spread the plague. That's faith in action. People trusting God. We can't see the end. We don't know where this is going, but we're going to trust God will do the best for us. Secondly, not only are we to be a people of faith, but we are to be a holy people. What does that mean? What does it mean to be holy? It's a word we use a lot, isn't it? The Apostle Peter tells us, But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves, also in your behaviour, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. That's 1 Peter 1, 15 to 16. But what does it mean to be holy? Isaiah, when he encountered God, in Isaiah chapter 6, he sees the angels around the throne singing to God, holy, holy, holy. And it doesn't say holy, holy three times by accident. That's a and Hebrew idiom they use. It is when they're trying to describe something that's so holy that it's almost indescribable. And to use a modern term, what they're saying there is God's holiness is almost nuclear. It's that in- incredible. But what does it mean practically for us? Well, the word, the old Hebrew word for holiness is kadesh, which means something that's cut off, separate, or set apart. It means to be anti-secular, in a category all of its own, something that isn't ordinary. It struck me when I saw that, anti-secular. And one of the sad, sad things today is so much of the church is being sucked into the world. A wise man once said, the church has a choice. It's here to convert the world. That's our job. That's what the church is here for, to convert the world. 
So the church has a choice, convert the world or be converted by the world. Sadly, I see so often it is the other way around. The world has converted the church. And when the church puts its main aim to be carbon neutral by 2030, it has lost the plot big time. If we worried about sharing Jesus with the world, we wouldn't have to worry about being carbon neutral. It would sort itself out as people became more and more godly. We are a people that set apart. We are not to be like the world. And it's tough today because if you stand up and you say, well, I don't agree with that, I don't believe that, the world will call you a bigot. The world will call you an idiot. And you won't be allowed to go and speak in universities. You won't be able to go on television. But this is what we're called to do. We're called to stand up for Jesus. We're called to stand for the gospel, stand for the word of God. So we are to be a people of faith, we're to be a holy people. But we're also to be a righteous people. The word used in the Bible for righteousness is tied up with the word justice. I won't try and pronounce it, because I can't pronounce it. But what's interesting about it, it's got two meanings. There's a vertical meaning and a horizontal meaning. The vertical meaning is what God does for us. God has made us righteous in Christ. When he looks at me, gee, when he looks at me, God sees not what I used to be, but he sees Jesus. He's, that's the vertical direction. What God's done for us, he's made us righteous. We're clean. He's done that for us. But it also has a horizontal dimension. And the horizontal dimension is the dimension of our relationship with each other. I was in a church a couple of weeks ago which has had so many splits over the years that it's tragic. Instead of being a body that came together, they fragmented and split. Okay, they planted other churches out as a result of the splits, but it's tragic. We are to learn to be together. We learn to accept each other for who and what we are, for all our different giftings. Because we are called to be what God has made us to be. I can't do what you do in the church. I can't do what my wife does. We are made to fit together as a glove. So don't let division come in the church. It's something that we have to fight against. Because believe me, it's the enemy's favourite trick to come in and divide the body. And I've seen it so many times. Particularly as soon as a church starts to grow, the enemy will be in there with division. So we must be righteous because God has made us righteous. We must be right in the way we treat 
everybody else. Which means we must become a forgiving people. We must learn to know what it is to forgive. To forgive even if you think you were in the right. And I can tell you, forgiveness was the hardest lesson I've ever had to learn. I think on another occasion I've shared with you the, the experience I had with my own father. Now I had a very bad relationship with him. But I had to learn to forgive him. Toughest lesson I've ever learnt. But boy, what blessing did I get out of it. If we learn to do things God's way, to forgive as he forgives, we release his blessing. That's a truth that's so hard to learn, but it's absolutely spot on. And finally, we must be a loving people because he first loved us. We love because our Heavenly Father is love. And we must learn to love like he loves. A love that's sacrificial. Years ago I was in a church and we had a young man join the church. I couldn't stand this guy. He gave me the creeps. He really did. And I said to God, one day I was convicted. You cannot treat this, his name was Jeremy. You cannot treat Jeremy like this. He's a child of God. God loves him. And if God loves him, you must love him. And I said, I can't. He just gives me the creeps. You know, makes my skin crawl every time I go near the guy. And I said, Lord, I know you're calling me to forgive. I can't do it. I really can't. Help me to forgive. And you know, he did. And that chap became such a friend and a close friend, you know, until the, you know, we parted ways to go our separate ways in life. But forgiveness comes at a cost, but it's, oh boy, is it worth it? We must become a forgiving people. Okay, so I've looked at some of the attributes of what is it makes up a normal Christian. Faith, holiness, righteousness, forgiveness, and being a loving person. Now comes the key question. How do we live it? How do we put this into practice during our day-to-day -day life as a church and as a people? This series is called Hosting the Presence. But what does that mean? I think it's key. I think it's central to the Christian experience. And if we don't get this, we don't understand what it's all about. Hosting the presence means beginning to learn and realise that God is always with us and to know that in a real and tangible way. What I mean by that is we can experience his presence with us. 
God is not somebody we know just with our mind. He's not just a good idea. God is somebody who wants a relationship with us. And you know, you can't have a relationship with somebody you don't know. You have to know somebody. So one of the things that fascinated me through, when you look through the Bible is all the people we've spoken about this morning, Moses, Jacob, David, all of them, they all had an encounter with the living God. Every single one of them. Jacob, who wrestled with God in Genesis 32. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face. Wow, I have seen God face to face. God spoke of David as a man after his own heart. Moses, he spoke to Moses as a man, as friend, face to face. These are encounters with God. And you know, it's not just the Bible. You come up to date and you come, Paul, he meets Jesus on the Damascus Road, on the road to Damascus. But if you carry on through history, coming up to modern times, more and more you will find as you read it, even if you read the old Puritans, and they haven't always got a good press, they were men who knew the truth of this, an encounter with the living God, to know God personally. So what I'm trying to say to you this morning, this is not something that's special for, for certain super holy people. This encounter with God is for everyone. And it really is for everyone. I want to share my own testimony with you a bit. Because this is where I learned this important thing. And I'm not sharing something which is weird and wonderful. This is something that goes right back through history. Men who have known and met with the living God. And surprisingly, I've read some of the most incredible encounters with God in the people I call the frozen chosen. They're not really frozen, but they are chosen. But when I, was a, when I first heard the gospel, which was when a couple of, I think it was two or three, young men who were students at the Wilson Carlisle Church Army Training College, which is round the corner from where I lived, knocked on my front door one day to share the gospel with me. And I brought them in, I sat them down. I was still living with my parents at the time, so it shows you how long ago that was. And they shared the gospel with me. They explained it to me. They explained how Jesus died on the cross. And they invited me to give my life to Jesus. And so I did. I gave my life to the Lord. The only trouble was, no matter that despite my generosity in giving the Lord my life, he didn't seem to want it because nothing changed. I wasn't any different afterwards. I didn't feel any different. I didn't feel any peace. 
And so what happened was I just forgot all about it and I just went on carrying living my life. As I would normally, you know, forgot all about it, out with the lads down the pub and as you did, as I did when I was about 17 or 18 or whatever it was. A few years later, after I'd moved to the Isle of Sheppey, I met a, a vicar who I'd first met in the pub, you know, years before. And I got to, became friendly with him and I started to attend his church and I became a very religious person. I was there, every church meeting, every service. I was even the church youth leader. And I didn't know the Lord. I know this now. I didn't know it then. I thought I was a Christian. But I was knew there was something missing, so I thought there is something more. And I was always looking for this something more. And so I thought, I know, I know exactly what you do. If you want to know this something more, you become a vicar. So I thought, that's for me, I'll have, I'll become a vicar. But fortunately, my vicar friend had a bit more sense than that. And he persuaded me to do something else. He persuaded me to become a lay reader instead. And I had to be interviewed by all and sundry, even the bishop. And not one of them picked up. Not one that I was suffering from a bad case of religion. And religion is not Christianity. It's not the real thing. One day I was at work, because I worked in a shop at the time, and a chap called Roger came in. Now, Roger was a member of you know, Alan Smith, who came a few weeks ago. He was a member of his church. And I met Roger for the first time when I went to serve him. And the first thing he saw is I had a little cross in my lapel. He said, are you a Christian, brother? I said, oh, yes, I'm a Christian. Oh, yes. He said, we must have lunch tomorrow. Right, yes, lunch. So we went to lunch and we got talking and sharing. And he said to me, and being a man filled with the spirit, he saw through me so quickly. And he said to me, you know your trouble, brother. You need the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The what? The baptism? What are you talking about? He said, I'll give you some tapes. So he gave me some tapes, which I've got to this day. They were by a chap called Bob Mumford, who some of the older people might remember, and a guy uh, for a pastor called Dick Iverson, pastor of a large church in Portland, Oregon. And I learned from them what the baptism in the spirit was. Wow. I heard Dick Iverson's testimony, how the Lord grew his church from 13 to 300 in a very short space of time and how they needed a building and he gave them a closed up, closed down cinema. Wonderful testimony. Still thrills me today. And I thought, oh, I want this. This is for me. And so I said to Roger when I saw him next, I said, how do I get it, you know? And he said, I'll come and pray for you. And he came round to our house. And there I was with some of my youth group. Because I thought if it was good for me, it'd be good for them. And we went upstairs to my workroom, my little workroom study upstairs. 
And Roger prayed for me that I would receive the Holy Spirit. And he said to me, just ask Jesus to fill you with his spirit. And I did. And the second I did, Jesus was there. He was in the room with me. I didn't see him. I didn't get a vision of him. But he was there. And I felt such love. I was overwhelmed. But at the same time, I felt I had nothing to offer him. His love was so great, so clean. I couldn't, you know, it's so difficult to put into words that experience. But there was Jesus with me. And from that moment on, my life changed. I moved from religion to Christianity, and I have never looked back. I could not deny Jesus now, ever. Because I have met him. I have encountered him. I know he's real. And I believe that kind of experience. It will be different for everyone. You won't have the experience I had. I am not special, but Jesus is offering that to you. That's what he wants for every single person in this church, to have an encounter with him. Because unless you have that encounter, it's impossible to live the life that we are called to do. It's impossible to climb the mountains he asked us to climb. And this is a truth that's not known in great vast sways of the church today. And it's what makes this church unique because this is something we believe. That every one of us should have an encounter with God. I have been blessed. I've been touched by God so many times in my life, never as dramatic as that first occasion. But I've always known he's been there for me. In times of trouble, in times of difficulty, and in times of joy, he's been there. I've sensed him, not quite as dramatically as the first time. What I want to say to you this morning is this is for you. Because if we are going to change our community, if we are going to really go out and touch that community, we need an encounter with Jesus. We need his spirit to blow through here and refresh us. Because I don't know about you, I need a fresh touch of the spirit every three weeks. Because... You know, I think it was David Watson said, you know, I need to be baptised because I leak. You know, and, and I do leak. And we do have troubles where we will go through times when we're not sure whether God is there. You see, Christianity is a relationship with a person. It's not just an idea. It's not just doing good. It's a relationship with Jesus. I honestly, passionately believe, as did the great Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, that this encounter with Jesus 
is the birthright of every Christian. A Christianity that is something that's in your mind only is not a Christianity, it's not the real thing. It's got to be body, mind and spirit. All of you must be involved. I want to give you a few texts. One of them which I think really speaks to me. Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. That's marvellous, isn't it? There's a new version, a new translation called the Contemporary English Version of the Bible, which says it this way. It says, God's Spirit makes us sure that we are his children. That is marvellous. And then one of my favourite scriptures, we've heard Dominic's favourite scripture this morning, but this is mine. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now notice there, right in the middle of that sentence there, it says, believe in your heart. When that word is used in the scripture, it doesn't just mean the thing that beats in the middle of your chest. It means the whole of your person, the deepest part of you, the whole of you. That's what it takes to be saved. Believe in your heart. If you don't know what I've been talking about this morning as I've finished now. I'm going to say a short prayer in a minute. And if you do not know what I've been talking about and you haven't had an encounter with Jesus, he gives you an invitation this morning and his invitation is simply this. Taste and see that the Lord is good. But before I pray, I've got a word I think the Lord gave me this morning for somebody here. I don't know who, but you're someone who's been coming to this church regularly, but you feel you're still on the outside. You feel you're on the outside looking in. And I believe God wants to tell me, whoever you are, wants to tell you that you are here because God has brought you here. You are here because God wishes to meet you here. It's no accident and you are part of this family. So I hope that means something to somebody. Now let's pray. And as I pray, just reach out to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are such a loving God You don't hide yourself from us. You reveal yourself. And Lord, I I ask you, Father, in Jesus' name, that you will touch the hearts of all those who have never met you or never had a real encounter with you, that you will open their hearts, Lord, and you will give them such a blessing and knowing that you are real, that you will transform their lives forever. Lord, I ask too that you will blow through this church 
with a mighty wind of your spirit that you will touch our hearts, each one of us. Lord, we all need to be refreshed. We all need, Father, to be set on fire again. We really need, Lord, a blessing of the spirit again. So, Lord, in the words of the psalm, O Lord, wouldest thou rend the heavens and come down. And we ask all these things in and through the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.